Thank you for uh, being here today. Uh, I am Lewis Miller, not that that matters, but just because some of you might be thinking, who is this guy? Uh, we, Becky and I are actually partners here at Mosaic and have been for a long time. And you say, well, I never see you here. That'd be accurate. Uh, most Sundays, I'm in a church somewhere across this panhandle preaching. I have the privilege of serving you through the Florida Baptist Convention and uh, the privilege of, of bringing God's Word in lots of different locations. And so it's an honor to get to be home today. I told someone earlier it was nice to not have to get up early and drive to another city, another place to just be able to stay here in town, how nice it is. And to Pastor Tad and the elders, I just say thank you for this honor and privilege uh, to stand in this pulpit today. And Josh and the worship team, they blessed us today, right? Okay, me and one other person got a blessing out of this today. <laughs> so uh, just checking. It seemed like to me it was a real great time of worship. But then again, I did notice something a little different about our worship. They got out the old hymns for the old guy. And uh, so I was, I was appreciative of that. Although I will say, almost everywhere I go, it's amazing how many times that song is sung, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, right? So do this with me, if you will, and we'll get started. That was a nice breath, wasn't it? It's his breath in our lungs, so we can pour out our praise to him. And that's the desire of my heart today as we open God's word together. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we'll find our text for today. And... Uh, <clears throat> I'll just share with you a little background for this message and why I feel like this is a word for us today. In the travels that I do across the, the Panhandle region, uh, it seems to me there's some things missing <laughs> in the church. Uh, uh, and, and so I was doing a little study personally on urgency and the meaning of urgency and kind of the drivers of urgency and this kind of thing in our lives. And so I read this quote recently from an organizational psychologist, a guy named Dr. Ben, Benjamin Hardy, and he made this statement. He said, you don't have a sense of urgency toward your time and purpose when one of four things is missing, or maybe all four. He says, number one, you're not clear on what you want. Number two, you don't believe you can control the outcome or the timeline. Not that any of us are control freaks, but... And number three, you don't know if you can succeed. You can't guarantee... You know people like that. They won't even get involved because they're not sure they're going to succeed. So just never mind. No, I'm out. And then this th a fourth statement he made, he said, you don't believe it's extremely important and timely. And it was that last one that dragged me to this question that's, that's kind of the driving force behind these thoughts this morning. And the question is this, do we believe the gospel is extremely important and timely? It's two different things, and I want us to think about that for just a second, and then we'll move into our text. Do we believe the gospel is extremely important? I think in most churches where I go, even in here in my home church, you would say yes, right? Amen, grunt, blink your eyes twice if you feel afraid or whatever. You know, some, somehow communicate with me. I can see you. I love seeing you. It's so nice. Usually I preach to an oncoming train, and so it's great to be able to see you. Uh, yeah, so, so I believe the gospel is extremely important, right? The question it raises is, is it timely? Because some people think, well, you know, it's a good book, Lewis, but it's written way back when, you know, and it's a lot of poetry and myth. And Wait a minute. 
Is the gospel extremely important, and is it timely? Does it speak into our lives today? And, of course, my bias is yes. See, many people in our culture seem to think there's plenty of time to respond to this gospel thing if, indeed, there's anything really to it. And then there's a whole other group that gives no thought to eternity whatsoever. And both of those concern me, but my greater concern this morning is that Church members seem to have no passion, no purpose, no persistence in communicating and living and sharing the gospel in our lives daily by faith. It seems to me, and again, these are just observations from the life of Lewis, too many in our churches today seem to have fallen asleep in regards to the urgency of the gospel, which is why I chose this text, Hebrews chapter 3. We're just going to look at three verses from Hebrews 3, beginning at verse 12. So uh, let's just look, follow along, and, and I'll read, okay? Hebrews 3 and verse 12. He says, and, and just side note, writer of Hebrews, the, the writer was writing to believers, okay? So this isn't to, like, folks far from God. This is to the church. This is to us, Hebrews. We're not Hebrews, but believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What? In the church? Let's read that again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Firm to the end. So uh, from these three verses, just three admonitions, they are be aware, be encouraged, and be faithful. Pretty Simple, right? But Lewis is kind of simple-minded. So first, let's talk about be aware. Verse 12. Look back at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. See, the writer is saying to you and to me, we need to guard our hearts. And when he uses that word hearts, he's not just talking about the blood-pumping muscle in our chest. He's, he's talking about the whole of who we are, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your attitude, your actions, your speech, everything about us. We need to be guarded. We need to be aware. It's the whole of who we are. Why? Because it's easy to get distracted and deluded in our faith, you know, like sweet tea that wasn't strong enough, right? Deluded. You ever met a Christian? I mean, don't answer that one. <laughs> you know, deluded in our faith. And then we gradually move toward what he calls an unbelieving heart. An unbelieving heart. One writer described it like this. He said, unbelief finds its actions in disobedience. Hello? Unbelief finds its actions in disobedience, or stated another way, when we become distracted or deluded in our faith, we begin to dabble in disobedience. You know, well, I'm out here in my truck. Can't nobody see what I'm doing right now. That's dabbling in disobedience. Well, don't nobody don't know. Let me just tell you this little juicy morsel. Right? That's dabbling in disobedience. Disobedience finds its opportunity when we fail to continue in the disciplines 
that keep us connected to our Heavenly Father, and it results in our falling away from the living God. The understanding of the word that's used to describe this falling away, it's not a a passive word. It's rather a deliberate disobedience. I I remember teaching teenagers 100 years ago when I was working with teenagers. You know, name for me one sin you didn't intend to commit. And they would always be quick. No, no, I did that. But they, no. They couldn't think of any. See, it's, it's deliberate disobedience. And, and I, I got to thinking about the stories that have come out recently about Southern Baptist leaders who've taken deliberate actions of disobedience and they have had devastating results across our nation. Deliberate acts of disobedience. And yet I still have people who come to me and say things to me like, well, I can't believe they'd do something like that. How in the world would they? I would never do something. I'd say to them, the writer of Hebrews says, be aware. Be aware. Because this falling away could happen to any one of us. Be aware. Pay attention, Christian. Observe what's going on around you. You know, I think she flirted with me. I kind of like that. Be aware. (laughs) Wake up. Church, be aware. Because falling away could happen to any one of us. The wisest man who ever lived said in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance. Keep your heart with complete full awareness for from it flow the springs of life. Let me go back to my originating question and tweak it just a little bit. Is your relationship to Jesus, is your relationship to your family, is your relationship to those around you, are those things extremely important and timely? If so, be aware. Be aware. Pay attention. Be aware. Uh, A second teaching from our text is verse 13, be encouraged. Oh, thank goodness, a good word. Be encouraged. (laughs) Exhort one another, he says, every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Wow, what a result. This is to church people. He's writing this to believers, followers of Jesus, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This verse starts out moving us more toward a positive focus in our lives and the lives of those that we relate to. We're to exhort one another. How often? It's up here. Two, one, two, three, four, five. Fifth and sixth word. How often are we to exhort one another? Every day. Get up with the attitude. <laughs> I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. You get a choice every day to choose your attitude. You get a choice every day to exhort one another, especially in the church, right? Wouldn't you think, I'm just asking, (laughs) wouldn't you think this would be the most loving place in town? Are uh, y'all doze off on me out there? You still out there? Oh, I heard one or two of you mumble something. Yeah. I, I mean, really and truly. If we're going to exhort one another, the understanding is the exhortation is reciprocal. You know, you exhort me, I'll exhort you. It's called relationship, right? Relationship. Relationships are important, right? Is anybody with me? Are you out there? (laughs) I I just think it's important we really think through these things and not just hurry along. I, I, I was doing a presentation for a teaching one time and 
my ministry assistant, sweet, precious lady, did a great job. She's now retired, came in and said, Brother, can I, can I ask you about, there's this one slide in your presentation. I said, sure, what is it? Well, this one right here. It seems, well, and the slide said, Jesus died for relationships. She said, uh, is that in the Bible? You know, another, and it was a sincere question. She didn't want me to teach heresy, and I'm grateful that a sister would care enough to question me. And I said, yeah, yeah, I think it's in here. It starts over there in Genesis 1, and it goes all the way through over here to the end of Revelation, I believe. That's where I see it. Now, I don't, maybe you've seen it somewhere else, but that's where I see it, right? I mean, stop and think about it. When God took that lump of clay, right, breathed into it the breath of life, it's his breath in our lungs, right? He breathed into it the breath of life and said, you're going to be Adam. We'll call you Adam. The relationship with Adam and God, perfect. And then God got thinking about it and said, no, I can do better than that. You take a little nap here. And he took a rib out of Adam and said, watch this. Boom, here's Eve. And Adam said, Isha, you know, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from I mean, woo! He was like, Yeah, God, way to go, right? He was excited about this. And so there they were in the garden, perfect relationship, no sin, nothing wrong. Adam had one job, right? <laughs> There's a tree over here. Don't, don't eat of that one. And one day, Eve said, that tree is still over there, isn't it? I never have tasted it. And somebody showed up. You heard testimony at our offering time this morning about how he tends to show up, try to make you anxious, try to make you doubt, try to cause you to live in fear. <gasps> right? And so, more says to Eve, now, did God really say don't eat of that or was he more worried about you becoming like him? And he said, go ahead and try it. One bite won't hurt, right? And so she did and said, oh, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Adam, Adam, come here. Try this, honey. And being the man of God he was, right, walking close with God, he said, here, let me have some, darling. <laughs> right? I mean, he just... So, of course, when he gets confronted by God about this, see what happened. What happened there? What happened in that moment? I'm making it light, but I want you to realize the seriousness. What happened was sin entered the camp. The relationship was broken. The one he created them for, broken by sin. See, we don't take sin seriously enough anymore. We say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just one little bite. Sin Broke the relationship. That was perfect. <laughs> of course, when God confronted Adam, he said, well, Lord, it's that woman. You know, you hadn't given me that woman. Sound like a bunch of men I know today. <laughs> Trying to always point the blame to somebody else instead of owning our sin. <laughs> and it's funny because now I'm a grandparent. Becky and I are grandparents. We have six grandkids. God's so good. If we'd have known how awesome they were. We might have considered trying to have them first, but. Anyway, anyway, grandparents are funny people because they'll say, oh, look at my little angel. Isn't she just beautiful? Oh, she's such a darling, a little sweet. She's a sinner. Don't you call my grandchild a sinner. 
Oh, they get upset about that, right? And yet, if you don't believe we are born with a sinful nature that separates us from holy God, you get to serve in children's church next Sunday. (laughs) They will demonstrate it for you. Right? You with me? Which one of your parents is teaching those kids to act like that, right? Nobody's trying to teach your kids how to misbehave. You're trying to teach them how to behave, right? Why do they do it so good? Because of their sinful nature. We're all born with it. All of us. We're all sinners. Except for the grace of God. So relationships really matter. Relationships do matter to God. We're to encourage one another every day. Exhort one another every day. God created us for community and accountability. And most of us in Baptist circles say, hey, man, I like that community. Hey, man, that means we're going to have fish fry or peanut boiling or ice cream making, you know, put something. But then when you say that accountability part, well, now, I don't know about that. What does that mean? Well, sort of like, hey, brother, you got stinking thinking going on. Just wonder if you'd noticed that. I love you enough to say the way you look at that woman is not right. Right? That's accountability. That's iron sharpening iron. We are created by God for community and accountability. Because why? Because we all have a tendency to fall away, just like the writer of Hebrews said, to become complacent. So what does he suggest we do? Encourage one another every day. Help each other every day. He drives home the urgency that seems to be absent today with this phrase. He says, as long as it's called today. What's the point? The point is this. We have today. The understanding is today will not last indefinitely. Right? Today will not last indefinitely. So you would think that would encourage the urgency in our walk, in our words, in our witness It's one thing to say, I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel. I believe the gospel. And go out here and live like a wildcat and contradict everything you stood and said you believe, right? We've got to live it. It's got to be our words. It's got to be our actions. It's got to be our attitudes, everything about us. (laughs) Another consideration of that phrase, not just the urgency as long as it's called today, But another consideration reminds us that that as long as it's still called today, there's still time. Listen, there's still time to hear the Father's voice. I don't know about you, but do you see the love of God for you in that understanding of that phrase? See, maybe you're like we get sometimes and you've begun to fall away from God. I've had guys actually say to me, I don't feel as close to God as I once did. And I had a good preacher friend who used to say to him, guess who's moved? Right? God hasn't moved. He wants you to be close to him. He wants you to walk in relationship with him. He wants you to know him and love him and serve him and please him and desire to become like him. So he's not moved. Could it be we falling away? Good news, there's still time. We, as long as it's called today, there's still time to hear the Father's voice. We can repent. 
and return to God. I drive a lot with the Florida Baptist Convention on the interstate. <laughs> Every now and then I have taken the wrong exit. That is not a fun thing because it's usually several miles to get back to wherever you meant to be, right? You ever feel like that in life? You know, there was that experience, that occasion, that something that happened. <laughs> Boy, that was a wrong exit. And man, I got out in the weeds out there somewhere. Good news is, there's an on-ramp back. It's called repentance. If we will repent, if we will decide, I'm not going to keep going the wrong way. I'm going to turn and come back to my Father, right? The one who loves me. The one who paid it all that we sang about today. There's time to repent and return. This same Hebrews writer says in chapter 4 and verse 7, Today if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, if you hear the Father today, don't harden your heart. Don't go all American ego on it. <clears throat> I don't need God. I'm good. I'm good as any rest of these hypocrites in here. Hey, good news. You might actually be better than most of us because we're all hypocrites in recovery. We try to overcome our hypocrisy and actually live by faith in Christ alone, right? He is the cornerstone of our life. That final phrase then, he says, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What in the world would he have meant there? To me, it's a reminder that while our exhortation can have a really great strengthening effect on our relationships and our community, that exhortation... Yielding to the deceitfulness of sin, dabbling in disobedience can have a damaging impact on those very same relationships. In fact, one theologian, Dr. Paul Ellingworth, commented on this verse. He said, the notion of sin throughout the epistle is connected to disbelief followed by disobedience. It starts with disbelief. Wasn't that how the serpent tempted Eve? Now, did God really say? Well, I know, pa I know Pastor Tad thinks that, but I'm not really sure that's what the Bible says. And I don't know what the Bible says, but I'm not sure. <laughs> disbelief that leads to disobedience. So when we begin to disbelieve and fall away from our faith, we become disobedient. And that leads then to unconcern about how my actions affect others around me. I don't really care. I don't care how it affects you. What happens when that's our attitude? Relationships suffer community and unity in the church is lost and some of you may still think well I, i'm not sure preacher if that that's really accurate that my behavior affects others hebrews 12 verse 15 here's what it says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god what does that mean that no one it goes without hearing the gospel without having the opportunity to open their life to christ to follow him in obedience right see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then he goes on to say that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, what does it say? Many become defiled. There's the impact of your actions on others. See, when we become bitter, well, I don't know why in the world she gets to play the keyboard. I can play the keys and nobody's never even asked me. I just don't appreciate it. I'm really bitter about that, right? I mean, that's a silly example, but right? A root of bitterness starts up in me. Well, I can teach small group. I don't know why. 
And they think only Jason can do that. I could teach it. Right? I mean, not in this church, but in other churches where I go. Right? You with me? Root of bitterness springs up in our heart, and many become defiled. Yeah, your actions, my actions, they impact each other. Positively, by exhorting each other every day, as we would still call today, or negatively, in this way. So as you do life in the community of God's family called Mosaic, be an encourager and be encouraged, right? It's a choice we get to make. It's a decision, an understanding of who Christ is in us. We can be encouraged and be an encourager to others. Be aware, be encouraged. Last one, be faithful. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Let's think about that and break it down a little bit. For we have come to share in Christ. That's not just some sort of futuristic promise based on my good behavior. If I'm really good, God will let me get into heaven when I die. That's, that's not at all what this verse is saying. It's rather a declaration of a confident conviction the writer has in the sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. This young lady that got saved today... She didn't save herself. She couldn't have. I remember the story about, I believe it was uh, Dwight L. Moody, this drunk on the streets of Chicago, was laying there in the gutter. He stood up and said, Dr. Moody, Dr. Moody, I remember you, you saved me several years ago. And Dr. Moody replied to him and said, yeah, you look about like something I would have saved. Right? We can't save ourselves. There's not enough good behavior, perfume, or pretty clothes to make us look or seem Christian. But salvation comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone. So what he's writing from is that understanding. It's a confident conviction in his heart in the sufficient work of the Lord Jesus Christ to save him, to save you and me. And the outcome of it is holding on to our original confidence. That original confidence. I said to her in our prayer today, I pray this day will always be a memorable day in your life. Because today she declared publicly before all of you, Hey, I belong to Jesus. Y'all help me do it. Right? Church? Right? <laughs> I mean, if, if, a, if a lady carried a baby nine months, Got to the delivery room and woo the baby's here. And we wrapped it up, put it in that little plexiglass crib. And she said, good luck, little baby. Hope you grow up and have a great life. And just walked right out of the hospital. They'd arrest her at the front door, right? For child abuse, right? Are you with me? Just give me a grunt, something to know you're not asleep yet. Okay. Yeah. So, and yet how many times have we run people through the water? Good luck, little Christian. Hope you grow up and have a great spiritual life. That's spiritual abuse, isn't it? When we don't disciple, when we don't help them grow up in Christ. And by the way, in case you got it all together, you don't. Neither do I. We're all still a work in progress. We're all still becoming who he wants us to be. This man was writing and teaching from a position of convictional confidence in the sufficient work of Christ. 
It will be our testimony of not only whose we are now, but whose we will be faithfully to the end. Paul David Tripp in his book Lead wrote this. He said, between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our homegoing, listen to this, God has given us everything we need to be what we're supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do. Do you believe that? Let's look at it again. I know I kind of dropped it in here on you. Between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our homegoing, God has given us everything we need to be what we're supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do. Do you believe that? Okay, me and two others. I mean, think about this. Either God has given us everything we need or we're just wandering, hoping, and grasping, right? No, it's a statement of convictional confidence. God has given us everything we need, not only to be, but to do everything he wants us to be and do. This concluding verse identifies that those in Christ are confident, consistent, growing in their faith daily to the end. You know when you stop growing in your faith? When they plant you. Yeah, when you pass from this life into eternity, now your faith becomes sight. You'll see him and be like him. Right? We won't need faith in heaven. We'll have sight. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight. Here's how Jesus said it. If anyone would come after me, just three things. Deny himself. Okay, pause. I'm still working on that one, right? Because I like me. I mean, look at me. I feed me. I clothe me. I take me places. Yeah, I like me. So I'm still struggling with that first phrase, deny myself, right? Put God before my will, my wishes, my desires. Deny himself. And then he says, take up your cross daily. Now, there's that word again. Take up. His cross daily, every day, every day. You know, like, Lord, it's Lewis, good morning. So far, I haven't cussed or kicked a dog or done anything mean to anybody. But, Lord, I'm about to get out of bed, right? <laughs> right? You with me? <laughs> Lord, help me today to live for you, <laughs> for your glory, not for me and what I want and have it my, did it my way, right? No, no, I want to do it Christ's way. I want to become like Christ. I want to deny myself. To, I have some sweet little ladies in some of these churches. Well, I think I just lost my microphone, so I get to shout now, as if I hadn't been already. <laughs> these sweet little ladies will say to me, you know, Brother Lewis, my husband, he's my cross to bear. <laughs> and I say to them, you know, that may be true, but that's not what Jesus was talking about here. Okay, Your husband may be difficult. <laughs> that's not what he was talking about. What was he talking about? What was the cross to Jesus. Think about it. I, I, these are my terms and how I would describe it. was total egoless obedience. The cross. See, they didn't drag Jesus to the cross kicking and screaming like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to go. No, no, no. Jesus went up there and laid down on the cross. He settled it back over in John 17 in the garden. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, nevertheless, what did he say? Not my will be done, but yours. There went the ego. Egoless obedience all the way to death on the cross. 
Why would he do that? I hope you're wondering that today. Why would Jesus do that? Let me tell you. I know the answer. Here it is. You ready? He loves you. He loves you. There's no other motive. There's no other reason. It's not a trick thing. He really loves you. Yeah, but you don't know me, preacher. I'm a pretty bad scoundrel. I'm only here because Mama said if I didn't come today, it's going to be rough around the house. Huh? Hey, good news. God even used her to get you here today to hear him say to you through me, he loves you. In your sin, in the mess, in the middle of it all, he loves you. And he wants you to know him. He went on to say in Mark 13 and verse 13, the one who endures to the end, this isn't a salvation saved, this is a you'll receive your reward saved. You will spend eternity with him. One last passage I want us to just glance at real quick is in Hebrews chapter 10. In my Bible, just a page or two over. Maybe on your app you can look at it real quick. Just a few verses from Hebrews, Hebrews 10 along this same line of being faithful. He says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Look what he says. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Buddy, if the verse stopped there, that'd be the Southern Baptist mantra. <laughs> Let's consider how to stir up one another. We know how to stir up one another, right? If only we would finish the verse, to love and good works. That's what we're supposed to stir each other up to, love and good works. And then in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Well, I'll just watch it online, preacher. I'll be there about every once in a while. I'll come by. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see, there it is again, the day drawing near. All of these passages we've looked at here in this verse 14 and following all of them are a charge to us to be faithful, a call to us to be faithful. Faithful to salvation, the salvation you receive because of Jesus. Faithful to our daily disciplines and following Jesus. You say, well, I don't really know that much about Jesus. Open this, you'll know all about him. And then I hear guys say to me as I travel around here, well, preacher, I know you said I ought to read my Bible, but I ain't much of a reader. Probably ain't read three books since high school. <laughs> really? Good news. There's an app for that, right? <laughs> you can put that YouVersion Bible app on your phone, and they pay a British guy in here to read your Bible to you, punch the translation you like, and the Lord saith unto Moses. Right? I mean, the guy will read the Bible to you. If you're that unwilling to pick up a Bible and read it, they got a guy in your phone that will read it to you. It's that important if you want to have relationship with Christ that you're in his word. Let me just mention one more about daily disciplines, and I really don't have time to dig in here, but prayer. Daily. Daily prayer. I mean, don't answer this out loud, but do you practice that? Can you imagine? I, Becky and I have been married 46 years. Could you imagine 46 years ago I told her, hey, babe, I love you. Man, you're awesome. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes, sir, you're great. And I hadn't said a word to her since then? You think I'd still be here and married to her? No. 
Why? No communication, right? I've had some other old men. <laughs> well, I told my wife I loved her when I married her, and if it ever changed, I'd let her know. I said, hey, buddy, you better give her an update, right? <laughs> she needs an up-to-date <laughs> report. Is that love still there? Is the relationship still there? What am I begging them to do? Communicate! When we pray to God, we not only pour out our heart to Him in prayer. I wondered, when's the last time you went to God like this? Hey, God, it's Lewis. I don't have anything. What do you have? You know, with a blank page. Because that would require being still, Psalm 4610. And knowing that He's God. And listening for His voice. To record what he wanted to say. Maybe he wants to communicate something to you. But you're so busy. You know, it's about to be back to school, God. And our schedule's going to get crazy. Right? Can you find five minutes somewhere? Can you find ten minutes somewhere? Just to communicate with your father? He wants to help you with all that back to school stress you got going on at the house. I understand. See, we need to be faithful to our daily disciplines. Faithful to encourage each other. To love and good works, faithful to gather with his church, the body, uh, faithful to engage in gospel conversation. Uh, people, I get, gospel conversations are not difficult. If you've had an experience with Christ, it's not difficult, right? You say, well, I just don't know what, what they ask me a Bible question I can't answer. Just say, I can't answer that. <laughs> There's your answer. I don't know. Here's what I do know, right? And then tell them what you do know. I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. Jesus saved me and he will do the same for you. Right? Doesn't have to be complicated. Faithfulness, this, this faithfulness we're talking about is really learned through the example of Jesus. I go back to chapter 10 and verse 23. He who promised is faithful. Faithful. Church, we're challenged to finish strong. <laughs> Finish faithful. So can I ask you, where does, this, where does this text find you today? We'll wrap it up here. The stated assumption of verse 14 is that there's been a point in your life where you received an original confidence that he mentions there in verse 14. In Jesus. Meaning that there's been a time when you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone were born again. Where are you today? Is that true in your life? You've been born again? Because if you've never had that experience, let me take you back to the words of chapter 4 and verse 7 that say, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Why? Because Jesus is calling you to be saved. Church, we live in a culture that's looking for Christ-honoring consistency and urgency. I had this thought, and I penciled it in last minute. <laughs> I have neighbors. I live in a neighborhood. They know I'm a pastor. They know I'm a Christian. They know I claim to be a follower of Jesus. If I don't talk to them about Jesus, about eternity, about knowing him, and one of them dies, and they're eternally separated from God, wouldn't they be justified to come to me and say, why didn't you tell us? You knew there was a better way. You knew there was more to life. You knew there was hope for eternity. Why didn't you tell us? And I'd make some lame excuse like I hear so often like, I didn't know what scriptures to use. 
I didn't know what stories to tell. I didn't know what things to say. See, folks, in all of our life, love takes risk. Love has conversations. So, church, let's determine to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's determine to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And let's, con- let's determine to not neglect meeting together. Would you just bow your head there where you, where you are with me? Let's, let's, let's conclude in prayer here. In these concluding moments, I want you to do an eternal evaluation, internal evaluation, two questions. Would you describe your relationship to Jesus as idle or urgent? And I, you, you answer that, you and the Lord. My second question is this. Would you be willing to admit, I don't have a relationship with Jesus today, but I want to today. I want to. See, today, if you will listen for Jesus' voice calling you to salvation, he'll forgive your sins. He'll give you confidence and a faith relationship to walk with him. And we must walk with urgency while it is called today. Why? Because we've been given today. Stand with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, your word has been preached here today. You, through this messenger, have somehow communicated the truth of your love for mankind here. We all have to decide in our hearts, what are we going to do with this love? Are we going to respond and be born into your family? Or are we going to continue to fall away, to reject, to push back? Lord, some in the church family today have taken that wrong exit. They're looking for the on-ramp. Would you remind them that your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring home those who've fallen away. Restore. Help them to return to the joy of your salvation. And Lord, for those here today, never having trusted you as Savior, would you draw them to yourself as only you, Holy Spirit, can do. We cannot save ourselves. You must draw them. In the moments of this final song, I'll be here at the front and some of the other elders will be here at the front. And If you'd like to pray with someone, if you'd like to just come kneel at this altar. These altar rails are open here for you to come bring your burden to the Lord. I'm asking you today, would you listen for the Father's voice and do not harden your heart. As they sing, you respond to the Lord.